When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. After researching what I had seen on Google, I came across your YouTube channel associated with the words dog and man, along with Werewolf Ohio, several times. I am a sales representative for the Ohio, West Virginia, and Pennsylvania region, with an office in Cannon, Ohio. Being a city boy, 
it is often intriguing and interesting to be out in the country. With my job, I often find myself in new places and always see things I never thought I would. That was until Tuesday, November 23rd. On that day, I found myself following my GPS down a dirt road in Lisbon, Ohio, while listening to the local radio station out of Akron, ranting about the election. Suddenly, I spotted a man in a black fur coat running across a field. At first, he was about 10 feet away, and then, in what seemed like a flash, he was halfway across it before I had time to realize that this was not normal. I slammed on the brakes and grabbed my phone to take a photo, but I didn't have enough time to capture a good shot. The attached picture is what I managed to get, this creature was at least 7 feet tall and incredibly fast. It was entirely black, and I noticed what I later thought must have been a row of long, pearly white teeth as it ran. I distinctly remember two ears high on its head. It was definitely walking on two legs but appeared to be a giant dogman of sorts. Around three years ago, I was pretty down in the dumps. My long-term girlfriend just left me, I was back to living in my parents' basement, and to top it all off, apparently the world was supposed to end in a few months according to some old calendar. I bought into it, yeah. I was and still am, big on prepping for global disaster. Who knows what sort of shit could happen. I'd rather be safe than sorry. Anyway. I had been doing some pretty heavy research into Bigfoot sightings. Gigantopithecus? Dude in an ape suit? Some other undiscovered primate? Nobody knows. But I know it's out there, somewhere. I looked through page after page trying to gather as much information as I possibly could. I was determined. It didn't take me long to decide I was going to head out into the wilderness on my own and search for this elusive thing. I figured we all only had a few months to live anyway, what did I have to lose? I saved up some cash and went out to a sporting goods store to pick up some gear. A good tent and sleeping bag, as well as some other assorted camping supplies. I even nabbed some night vision goggles off of eBay. I was prepared, I was ready. I got a plane ticket to Washington State I'd read that's where a lot of the sightings were, and flew out there within the week. The plane ride was uneventful except for one very strange occurrence. After polishing off quite a few rum and cokes, F it the world's ending soon, right? I realized I had to piss like a racehorse. As I stumbled my way down the aisle, I suddenly felt every single passenger's eyes on me, even the ones who had sleeping. I mean, every single one, children included. I think I saw a friggin' baby giving me the evil eye. It was dead silent even though moments before the plane sounded like Mardi Gras. I kept looking back at the passengers when my hands found the bathroom door. They all had their heads turned around still pointing their dark gazes at me. I slowly turned my head around to find an old woman inches from my face. Her eyes were all white. Blood trickled from her nose. She grabbed me by face and pulled me closer still. Her rancid breath whispered something to me. Find us. We're waiting, the hag whispered. I practically threw myself into the bathroom and slammed the door closed behind me. What the hell was going on? Did I fall asleep on the plane and am now dreaming? Did somebody spike my drink and I'm now tripping out? 
Were the conspiracy nuts right, and the world is ending? It took me about 5 minutes to calm myself down. I wasn't a huge fan of flying to begin with, let alone flying straight into a Twilight Zone episode. I decided to peek my head out of the bathroom to see if old Demon Eyes was still there. She wasn't. It actually looked normal again. I stepped out of the bathroom and walked back to my seat. Nobody was staring at me anymore. Had I imagined all that? I wish I could say that I had, in fact, imagined it all. But unfortunately, as I sat down, I noticed there was a small piece of paper in my seat. It was a business card. It was all white, plain, with nothing but an address on it. 237 Highway 12E, Packwood, Washington. Ladies and gentlemen, this is your captain speaking. At this time, we'd like to ask y'all to please return to your seats and buckle up, as we'll be preparing to make our touchdown in beautiful Emerald City of Seattle. The plane taxied to a halt, and I got off, eager to get the F out of there. I opened the map app on my phone and typed in the address from the business card. The app couldn't find the address, typical of that buggy piece of shit, but it did show me where Packwood was. I knew I'd heard of it before. It was a little town deep in the wilderness between Mount Rainier and Mount Saint. Helens, prime territory for Bigfoot sightings. I'd planned on going through there anyway on my way south, so I could stop off for supplies before heading into the forest. I turned the card over in my hands, and I shrugged. I figured, the hell with it, I'm out here for adventure, aren't I? Might as well check the place out. I got my bag, haggled with the rent-a-car clerk for a bit, and started the two-hour drive south. I listened to the radio, the station selection slowly dying out the further I got from Seattle. For the last 20 minutes the only thing coming in was a single station playing old-timey music on an endless loop. The same strange tune, over and over, fuzzed with little bursts of static now and again. By the time I reached Packwood, it was starting to get to me. I thought I could hear someone whispering in the static. It was the middle of the night when I reached the town. I drove down Highway 12, noting the address signs as I went, looking for the address on the card. All the numbers were in the 13,000s. Whoever wrote down 237 must have made a mistake. I pulled into the Packwood Inn and went into the office. No one was there, just a few keys laid out on the counter and a handwritten note that said pay up in the morning. I grabbed one and opened up a room. I was exhausted from the long trip, and I plopped down on the bed. I messed around on my phone for a bit, thought about texting my ex-girlfriend, you said I should have more ambition? Well how about mother f Bigfoot hunting? I typed before deleting it, and I fell asleep. I woke up a couple hours later. It was still dark out. I have trouble sleeping in unfamiliar places, so I decided to just get an early start on the day. I went into the bathroom, pulled my shirt off to take a shower. I froze. I stared into the bathroom mirror, unable to process what I was seeing. The number 237 had been written on my chest in crimson red paint. I freaked instantly, jumping in the shower and soaking my bottoms in the process. The red numbers melted slowly into formless pink and red shapes. I fought down the panic as the shower warmed from its biting cold, and I scrubbed the last remnants of the numbers off of my chest. 
Someone had been in my room and somehow painted numbers on my chest, all without waking me up. I had no idea what this meant, but I knew it wasn't safe to hang around my room any longer. I hadn't unpacked much at all, and I grabbed everything that I had brought with me and hurried down the empty hallways. I passed the desk again, still empty, but the sign had been pulled down off of it, the only sign of another human I had seen. As I saw the lobby doors my hurried walk turned into a jog, and I stepped into the surprisingly crisp night air. I turned the rental car on to the same old-timey music. F that noise, I growled to no one but myself, turning the radio off with comforting decisiveness. Despite the lack of people, or maybe because of it, I felt watched. There was a full moon out and the clock in my car told me that I should be getting the benefits of dawn soon, so I kept the headlights off until I eased out of the parking lot and was back on the main town road. Back on Highway 12. I drove north. Although the technical area of Packwood was large, most of the buildings were clustered in the center near the inn and tourism centers, and as I drove with a slowly growing sense of tension I passed a church and then the only sign that I was still in Packwood were paths that cut into the trees and disappeared, side roads that lead to nestled houses in the forest. I should have just kept going, left the entire town behind. I didn't, Something red flashed in the dim edges of my headlights and I stopped, mind whirling towards the numbers that had been painted on my chest. I suppose one thing all Bigfoot hunters have in common is undying curiosity and placing personal comfort and safety below the thrill of the chase. I gathered all of my survival gear that I had thrown in the back seat and put it on, just in case. I shone the flashlight around looking for what I had seen. The trees were marked marked with crimson paint. Unlike what had been on my chest, this paint was faded, worn away on the bark save for the well-preserved. You could still make out the shapes of the markings through the paint that was preserved in the cracks with a little effort. I knew from both my research on Bigfoot sightings and the brief search on Packwood I had done after receiving the address that the town had, for most of its history, been a lumber town. The industry had collapsed in the late 1990s, and the town's big lumber mill had closed down suddenly. These trees had been marked for harvesting but had never made it. Most were marked with simple X's, but my flashlight fell on red lettering. 134, not the number I had been given. But there were other trees. Not very many were marked with numbers, there were several 134's, but I saw a 222 and swallowed. My heart was racing now, and I jumped as the handheld radio in my pack suddenly crackled to life, the music nothing but broken words fighting to cut through static now. Find us. The words echoed and I felt compelled. I broke into the trees, abandoning the highway as I panned my flashlight tree to tree, searching and working deeper into the swatch of trees that had been marked. In my head I went over everything I knew about Packwood. Unfortunately my knowledge of its actual history mostly ended at the lumber mill, and most of what I knew revolved around Bigfoot sightings. Packwood wasn't exactly a mainstream destination for Bigfoot sightings. It had only really started getting any amount of significant sightings around 10 years ago, and even then nothing conclusive. Really you would only know to look for Bigfoot at Packwood if you were the kind of obsessive hunter that had already exhausted the mainstream spots the kind that went into further and further remote regions, 
Trusting success to slimmer and slimmer chances the more underground the better. I personally had even considered Packwood nothing serious. Not until the hag on the plane. The kind of hunters who no one was surprised went missing. The thought crossing my mind the same moment my light crossed a hulking pitch black pine, 237 scrawled across its trunk in fresh crimson letters. The radio was hissing static like whispers, and the phrase we're waiting we're waiting we're waiting drone through my mind. Once my light had found the one tree I saw another. There was a whole scattering of black pines, trunks twice as thick as the ones around them. A dense sleek black only marred by the bright red numbers on each of their trunks. Find us, we're waiting. And then, silence. The radio stopped. The whispers ended. It was nothing but me and the sound of the night, that all-encompassing quiet that steals all that you are into its own blackness. Until it was disturbed. I hardly noticed it at first. It grew slowly into my consciousness. A sound that I was familiar with but somehow didn't know, a droning, wispy sound. But not one I should have been hearing there. There was something behind the pine. From where I was standing, it was hard to make out. Its shape was near the tree, but it was bigger, longer. Man-made. I moved toward it, and suddenly the sound made sense to me. There, crashed and dilapidated into the middle of the trees, was an airplane and suddenly the sound made sense to me. I was hearing an engine. It was torn and broken, but it somehow still seemed to be ready for flight. Its doors gleamed out like an invitation, and one that I wasn't going to dismiss. Curiosity, as it always does, got the best of me. I wrenched the door ajar, orange rust preventing it from moving any smoother. It was impossible to get in with all of my gear, so I left it by the door to retrieve it, just in case. The moment I entered, I knew something was wrong. I couldn't see or hear anything, but every other sense just felt. Wrong. The ground was wrong. The smell was wrong. Even the very air of it was wrong. I reached back through the door to grab my flashlight. I shone it around me, my immediate area at first, and then at the preceding aisles before me. And it was wrong. I was not alone on the airplane. Every single seat was full with crumbling skin and slack-jawed bones, buckled in as if it were just now making the descent. The strange thing was, they were all in different levels of decay. The remains of a dressed-up woman cradled a swaddle of death in her arms, while a fairly intact man with glasses studied an in-flight magazine. And, near the back, an old woman with a toothy, blood-stained grin stared at me. They all stared at me, every single one. They all watched me with dark gazes from eyes they didn't have, judged me with sneers of faceless expressions. Every face. Every aisle. Every seat. Every seat save one. It was empty, on the aisle, and strangely familiar. I walked to it, slowly, the empty eyes of every passenger watching me pass. It was labeled 37, but beside it, someone had painted a crimson too. 237. And then, I knew. I knew why it all felt so familiar. Why the plane was like a distant memory and the seat deja vu. This was my seat. On the plane, this was my seat. And this was my seat now. I sat down, and it was right. Just right. I buckled myself in, because safety first. 
My trade table was secure, but I was sure that any minute now the pilot would announce refreshments, and I would get a rum and coke and maybe take a nap. And their eyes weren't on me anymore because we were ready, up, up, and away. They were waiting. And I had found them. And then, 17 hours later, she found me. Her name was Deanna. She was a hunter, just like me. She pulled me from the plane and from the brink of insanity. She'd been out camping and found the numbers, followed them just as I had. When she heard the droning of the plane engine, curiosity got the better of her. That's when she found me, still in the seat. Still mindlessly staring into blissful nothingness. She brought me to her camp and then back into town. She left me at the bus station, and I never saw her again. I've always loved the woods. There's nothing quite like it, being in nature, the green and brown of foliage, the skipping rivers and streams, the bird calls and wind in the trees. A beautiful world alive with animals and plants, majesty around every corner from the smallest sprout to the tallest mountainous peaks. The whole forest is one community in a way, tree roots like hands holding each other beneath the soil, sharing memories unspoken. Ah. I'm sorry, I got a little carried away. I'm rather passionate about nature. Since I was a kid at church camp and I went hiking for the very first time I found myself a total outdoors nut. And earlier last year, I finally got my dream job. A park ranger position, at the biggest national park in Ontario, Pekasqua National Park, working at the northernmost HQ. When the virus hit it was hard for all of us the park ended up closing to visitors. Luckily I kept my job. I ended up staying in the HQ for the first portion of lockdown with a few colleagues. Normally, national parks close to visitors for the winter, which obviously makes sense, it's the most dangerous time of year for hikers and campers. Quarantine kept us closed the entire year, so it wasn't anything new. Pekasqua is no different in terms of its closing policy but it was different in the sense that some of us rangers ended up having to stay at the HQ over the winter. There was no fear of fire, obviously, we were shaping up for a frigid and snowy winter, but as I was confused about the reason, my co-workers didn't raise a fuss. They knew exactly what we were in for. I asked Chris what was going on and he looked at me with an expression like you don't know? Don't sweat it, Max, it's nothing to worry about. In the past we've had people jump the fence to get in during the off-season, so upper management just wants us to keep an eye out to make sure nobody gets in and gets themselves hurt. He assured me. I felt comforted by the sentiment, figuring it'd be a piece of cake. The only issue is that. I know this seems contradictory to my previous statement about nature. But I felt an uneasiness about the whole situation. Laugh at me all you want, but I've always had a sort of paranoia about winter. It's by far the most dangerous time to be outside, especially in a place like the forest. In the spring you fear the rain, being drenched and catching a chill, in the summer and early autumn you fear wildfires, and in all three seasons you fear the animals. But in winter? The cold alone is enough to kill you, being caught in a blizzard, or even just spending the night with no shelter. The thick layer of snow hides everything. One wrong step could send you falling into a frozen lake or a tree well. 
The animals are less of a fear. The bears are asleep in their caves and the wolves won't ever get close, but that only makes the place even more frightening to me. In winter the forest doesn't feel like a forest. The trees have shed their leaves and the animals are hidden away. It's deathly quiet out there, everything is muffled. The loneliness itches at you when you're out that far. The days feel like open mouths, it's only as the sun dips below the horizon that you truly see the teeth around you. I remember being young and asking my pastor why God would ever make winter, if it was so difficult for anything to survive in it. I didn't get a straight answer from him. But I digress, you understand what I'm getting at by now, ha! Huh? Suffice it to say I had my anxieties about spending the winter so close to the woods. I recall every morning waking up in my room, and although the presence of five other people in the HQ with me brought me comfort, feeling uneasy. I would get dressed in the morning, enjoy a meal cooked by Priya around a table with my friends, lace up my boots and zip up my coat, and then it would be time for work. I felt childish for it, but I would deviate from my path of patrol frequently to seek out my fellow rangers, sometimes to approach them and talk, but other times just to see them through the trees, knowing they were out there brought me peace. December was drawing to a close, it was Christmas Day at the HQ. We didn't all celebrate Christmas, Quinn is Jewish, Priya is Muslim, and Christopher and Bree are both atheist, but we still decided to do a gift exchange. It wasn't anything too fancy, just some trinkets to make the place feel more at home. We'd grown close to each other over quarantine, it only felt right. Being inside on that day, sitting around the wood-burning stove and giving each other our gifts felt. Right. We were in the midst of dinner when things went awry. The thud at the door caused me to jump. It was so out of nowhere that for the first few moments we didn't even move, just looking around at each other in confusion. It was Thomas who got up to check. We heard him swear from the door. That got us to move. On the front step there was a stag's head. The bloody stump was dry, but its fur was stained with rusty brown, eyes milky white and vacant. We'd all seen dead animals before, but we knew there was something wrong. I looked around at the others, but they all had knowing looks on their faces, albeit annoyed ones. Chris was the first to speak. It was probably a prank, someone might be out in the woods, he said. The others nodded. We should pair up and sweep the front entrance area, they can't have gotten far. Everyone began getting dressed for the outside. I looked over my shoulder longingly at our abandoned Christmas dinner, but I didn't complain, not wanting to seem selfish. Someone could be hurt out there, even if they had pranked us so cruelly like this I didn't want to think I might indirectly be the cause of someone's death via frostbite. I got to walk with Quinn, luckily. He's been here longer than most of us, second only to Christopher, about six years under his belt. We were walking down the trails rather than in the bush, the white beam of the flashlight making the fresh snow glimmer as we plodded through the thick layer of powder. We made small talk, quipping about the dinner, the presents we'd gotten from our co-workers and our family members in the mail, and the deer head. It got quiet for a moment, only the sound of the snow under our feet and the wind whistling through the pines. And then Quinn turned to me. Hey. Max? He asked. Um? Did anyone tell you about the year walk? I shook my head, 
giving him a confused look and slowing my pace. He sighed quietly, and slowed down with me, muttering in annoyance that no one had told me yet. Yeah, I thought so. You seemed confused when the boss let us know we'd be staying over the winter. What is it? I asked. He pursed his lips, trying to think of a way to explain it. It's an old Swedish tradition that happens around this time of year. People spend New Year's night walking through the forest until sunrise. Apparently they think if they do it they'll be given a prophecy about the coming year from a goat spirit, or whatever. I cocked my head, slowing to a stop. Okay? What's so important about it? From what I hear it's come back into style in some circles, he chuckled dryly. Last year some people jumped the fence into the reserve to do a year walk. They were half frozen to death when we found them. Luckily they survived, but you know. They. He trails off, as if he has more he wants to say, but he shakes his head. Upper management doesn't want to risk it happening again, so they told us to stick around over winter. We'll all get a bonus for it though, so that's A plus, eh? He patted me on the back hard, and I mustered up a weak laugh, even though that feeling of unease just continued to grow. The whole tradition reads as something. Demonic. Something my parents would have clasped their hands over my ears to keep me from hearing. It's. Intriguing. But I don't let the thoughts of it linger with me as Quinn changes the subject. We didn't end up finding anything. Neither did anyone else, except for Thomas and Bree. They found the deer's body in the snow, slumped against a tree stump and frozen, with footprints all around the clearing and leading off into the woods. That night I could hardly sleep. It wasn't about the deer, it wasn't about the year walk, and it wasn't about those footprints. It was about what I knew I'd have to do. Patrolling the woods at night, in the dead of winter. I don't know why it was frightening me that much. It shouldn't have been a big deal, it would be just like any other night patrol I'd taken. Only in the middle of winter. The idea of it made me feel queasy. I don't know if it's a true phobia, I know it's irrational, it's just a regular occurrence, a normal portion of the year and yet I couldn't will myself to sleep. It was in the wee hours of the morning. I still couldn't get any rest. Even though I couldn't sleep, I just laid there in bed staring up at the ceiling and tracing the wood grain with my eyes. I was shocked out of my trance by the sound of crunching snow and ringing bells outside. I sat up in bed, shuffling to the edge of the bed and looking out the window. Nobody there. The wind continued to whistle in the trees, and the forest was silent. Slowly getting to my feet, I wandered over to the window, and peered around. The crunching sound was quieter then, petering off to my right. When I looked down there were footprints in the snow under my window. I threw open the window and stuck my head out, looking out to where the crunching was headed. And there was nothing there. That didn't exactly help my predicament, only highlighted my fears and added a dark, unknown void to my paranoid anxious thoughts. In the morning I woke up and put on my clothes. I ate cereal for breakfast and chatted with Bree and Quinn before we all put on our snow gear and got ready for our first patrol of the day. By the time we went outside there had been snowfall, washing away all evidence of the footprints outside my window. I try to keep my mind off it. We walk on our own during the day. It's bright enough we can find each other pretty easily, and we have walkie-talkies if anything goes wrong. 
I felt like I was being watched that day, but I couldn't place what I was being watched by. The day passed without incident, and so did the day after that. And the one after. Just three days until New Year's, and my anxiety continued to mount up. I asked Christopher if I could stay in and file our incident reports. He let me spend one day inside, thank God, but. When they were out in the woods doing patrols, I could hear the crunch of snow and ringing of bells again, circling around HQ. It happened again the day after when I was lagging behind to wash the dishes after everyone had left. It happened each night too, walking around and around. I was sure I was just hallucinating, or my mind was playing tricks on me, but despite myself I couldn't shake that feeling of dread. I prayed for the first time in years that night, clasping my hands together and quaking in my bed, praying I catch a cold or break a leg, anything for an excuse not to patrol that night. On the morning of December 31st, I woke up an hour ahead of schedule. I crawled out of bed and wandered to the bathroom in my pajamas, splashing water on my face. My head hurt so badly. My knees buckled under me and I wrapped my arms around the edge of the toilet. I tried not to look at my vomit, I squeezed shut and stomach lurching as I lost last night's dinner into the bowl of the toilet. My anxiety had reached its peak. Even breathing turned into gasping, wheezing hyperventilation, hysteric sobs escaping my choked throat. I pressed my hand over my mouth, digging my fingers in to keep anyone from hearing. The bathroom felt more like a confession booth, claustrophobic and closing in on me, judgment from the other side of the door even though I knew nobody else was awake. I, I put on my clothes. I had no appetite for breakfast, and when everyone woke up, I acted as though nothing was wrong. I kept up my chipper attitude, I picked at my lunch, I filed more incident reports. And night time finally came. The snow was thick and cold. I could see all of the stars in the sky. The patrol began according to plan. I was paired up with Bree. We talked, but I wasn't much for conversation. I was too busy letting my fear get the best of me, my eyes darting around and my hands shaking under my mittens. I couldn't bring myself to look at Bree, fearing that she would notice the fear in my expression. After a while the conversation petered off and we were walking in silence, sweeping our flashlights around through the trees. After a long while of silence I cleared my throat, and looked too. Bree. Bree wasn't there. I spun around in a circle. Bree wasn't there. Bree wasn't there. She had just been there, just a few feet behind me but. I looked around again. Everything looked different, I'd walked this patrol path dozens of times, over and over, but nothing looked right. The trees were all wrong, stretching up high into the night sky. There was no sound, just the crunch of footsteps and the whistle of the wind. I could feel my heart rate picking up, I could feel my breathing begin to quiver and rattle in my throat. And then my flashlight fizzled out. And I started to shake. I fumbled my walkie-talkie off my hip and tuned it to the right frequency. T this is Maxwell, asking for backup, is anyone there? I stammered into the receiver, voice cracking pathetically. All I got in response was a garbled static sound, no matter what I did. I repeated my message over and over until my voice had dissolved into babbling whimpers and I fell to my knees in the snow. There was no response. 
Just a superlative fear and loneliness that hit me like an oncoming train. I curled into a ball, hyperventilating and crying into my knees as cold crept in on me. My jacket kept me safe, but still I could feel the cold on my face. I don't know how long I stayed there, paralyzed with fear and unable to move. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. An inch, just praying to a God that I knew couldn't hear me to let it all be a terrible nightmare. I heard a sound then. Ahead of me, the crunching of snow. I looked up. In the path ahead I could see a figure walking away from me. I was up on my feet and running after it in an instant. I called out, my voice still hoarse and raw from crying, yelling for them to stop and wait. They just kept walking. Even with their slow pace I just couldn't seem to catch up. My hope made me reckless, I didn't notice the route in front of me, and I stumbled forwards, falling face down into the snow. When I looked up, the figure was gone. I shakily got to my knees in the snow and stared forwards if looking long enough would make it come back. I could hear ringing behind me, but I couldn't bring myself to turn around and look. The two of them walked past me, two women wearing traditional-looking Scandinavian dresses and white veils. In one hand they each carried a swaddled blanket drenched red in blood, and in their other, a bell, ringing with each step. They left a bloody red trail in their wake, droplets of blood in the snow from there. Children. They spoke blankly, without any tone, speaking in a language I couldn't understand. Ara till good for Detta Barn. Ara till good for Vara Barnes Valsinels. Vitar med dem till Hanum Akaterlamner Hans Gava. Her Valsignate are vi for VRT Bidrag. I felt sick, I felt my hands grow sweaty and my throat closed up. I, I followed them. I got to my feet and trudged after them, unable to cry anymore. There was a river ahead, rushing across the path and splitting it in two. I kept walking. The two women walked to the river edge, and let their children fall to the ground, blankets falling open full of nothing but bones and mulch. I started hearing other people walking in the woods, taking their own paths, all converging on one point. I didn't run towards them no matter how much I wanted to, I couldn't bring myself to change course. It was a trance. I know that now. But I didn't understand then. In the middle of the clearing there was the monument. It wasn't supposed to be there. Nothing was supposed to be in the woods. There should have been nothing there at all, but it was. A pillar of wood with a stag head on top, 
a spike through its skull to keep it in place. At its base was the body the head had once belonged to, split open to expose its innards. Steam still rose off of it, it was fresh, still warm. There were others in the clearing, all standing at the ends of their own pathways, staring up at the monument with adoration. The deer head's mouth gaped open, tongue hanging out and eyes rolled up to show whites. It began to speak without its lips moving. Come frame at Mina Barn, din gud har valsign at os med kropanov sin infati son. Var glad, for dead abroad som han har get dig ar en helig perfetia. Glad dig ok at. It groaned out in joyous suffering, its blood dribbling down the pillar in beads. I didn't understand. But the others there did. They scrambled forwards through the snow, dropping to the ground in front of the body of the deer and pulling fistfuls of gore and bloody guts out of the animal's body with wet tearing sounds. I felt sick, I felt terrified. I felt so hungry. I sank to my knees in front of the body and reached forwards. The parts were indistinguishable from each other, mashed together and disgusting. Tears streamed down my cheeks as I shoved pieces of raw deer flesh into my mouth, metallic and chewy and textured in a way that made me want to vomit, but I just kept eating. Why was this happening to me? What was I doing there? I sobbed into my bloody handfuls of venison, leaning down and beginning to tear at it with my teeth, licking the blood off my lips. If there was a god to hear my screams for help, it was cruel enough to turn away. Shame and guilt and fear roiled around in my stomach, and the moon shone down on me like a spotlight at its highest point. The world shrank around me until nothing but the body of the deer and the monument were real. I leaned back, blood drenching my face and hands in front, staring up at the deer head as it stared back at me. Duaran or Lunda. Duvar into tankted coma hit. Men do our valsinet. Du far and gava. I didn't understand. I couldn't understand. I kept eating, even as I cried. Lightheadedness set in. I staggered to my feet and stumbled away from the clearing, weeping openly and staring at my bloody hands. What have I done? What's happened to me? I am a monster. I couldn't run, just stumbled away as much as I could tears and mucus mingling with the blood that coated my face. I fell to the ground, and sobbed into the snow. I covered my ears when I heard people screaming from the clearing behind me, and curled into a ball to hide when they ran past me in their new forms, hoofs leaving bloody marks in the snow. I splayed out where I laid, and even the silence that fell over the forest was deafening, ringing in my ears. I could hear it now, I could hear everything I couldn't before. I could feel the cold forest pumping and beating as one, screaming as one truly living, breathing being despite the snow cover. A being that would consume my body to support it just as I had to the body of that deer. Oh God! There couldn't be a God, this breathing, amorphous being was God, a frantic and hungry God, a spiteful and ancient God. It was everything and I was part of it. Oh God! Oh God! I must have passed out. When I woke up, I was laying on the trail I'd been on with Bree, and Priya was shaking me awake. She looked terrified, and I didn't understand why at first, until. I noticed the blood all over me. It was. Real. Then. Priya helped me to my feet and I leaned against her heavily on the way back to HQ. 
They asked me what happened, and I told them I couldn't remember anything. They were so worried for me, but they didn't seem surprised at the outcome. I think I was just like those people from the year before when they found me. I'm getting a few weeks off. I can't return home, Ontario is in lockdown again. I spend most of my time in HQ, and the others try to console me. It makes me happy to know they care, but nothing feels right anymore. I can't walk in the cold woods anymore. I can hear the trees moaning hungrily when nobody else can, and I'm one of the lucky ones. When I look out the window to the tree line I can see the deer with human eyes pacing and drooling red, jealous that I was spared when they weren't, even when I never wanted this gift. And when I sleep I can feel the forest itself breathing, more alive than it's ever been. The air hung heavy with a sense of foreboding as our special forces unit descended upon the abandoned asylum in rural Kentucky. The place had a dark history, and rumors swirled about the unspeakable horrors that had occurred within its decaying walls. Our mission was to find a man working for the Secret Service who had been kidnapped by a local nationalistic gang. We knew this wouldn't be a routine operation, but none of us could have anticipated just how harrowing it would become. As we approached the asylum, the eerie silence of the surrounding woods amplified our apprehension. The moon cast long, sinister shadows that seemed to dance in time with our racing hearts. We were professionals, trained to handle the worst of situations, but there was something undeniably sinister about this place. Our point man signaled for us to halt, crouching low as he surveyed the perimeter. Suddenly, a gunshot pierced the night, followed by a barrage of return fire. The gang had caught wind of our approach, and the shootout began in earnest. Bullets whizzed past us, and we quickly took cover behind trees and rocks. The crackling of gunfire filled the air as we encircled the asylum, trading shots with the gang members who defended their hideout. We knew we had to break inside to rescue our captive, but it wouldn't be easy. The gang was well-armed and determined. With a coordinated assault, we breached the asylum's entrance. Chaos ensued as we moved through the dimly lit, decrepit hallways, taking down some of the gang members while others escaped deeper into the building. It was a gruesome battle, with no shortage of close calls, but we pushed forward, driven by our determination to complete the mission. As we progressed deeper into the asylum's bowels, we encountered a series of locked doors, each one more forbidding than the last. It was during this tense search that I stumbled upon something that defied reason and sent chills down my spine. In the basement, hidden behind a rusted steel door, I found a room unlike any other. The air grew colder as I approached it, and a sense of dread washed over me. My heart pounded as I slowly turned the handle and pushed the door open. What I beheld within that room will haunt me for the rest of my days. It was about eight or nine feet tall, a shadowy figure that defied comprehension. It had two long, spindly legs, arms even longer that reached the ground, a round body, and a neck that seemed impossibly thin. But the most unsettling aspect was its complete lack of a face. There was nothing there, just an abyss of darkness where a visage should have been. Before I could react, the creature lunged at me with unnatural speed and strength. I stumbled backward, my heart racing, as it passed through the window, 
shattering the glass. I watched in shock as it disappeared into the night, leaving behind only shattered glass and my own shattered sense of reality. I rushed to follow the creature, my instincts driving me forward despite the overwhelming fear that gripped me. But it was as if the thing had vanished into thin air, leaving no trace of its presence. I returned to my unit, shaken and breathless, to recount what I had seen. I described the creature in vivid detail, but my comrades exchanged skeptical glances. They didn't believe me, and I couldn't blame them. The asylum had been a nightmarish place, and our firefight with the gang had been harrowing enough without adding tales of faceless monsters into the mix. As we completed our mission and rescued the kidnapped man, the memory of that creature lingered in the back of my mind. I knew what I had seen, even if no one else believed me. It was a reminder that sometimes, the horrors that lurk in the shadows are all too real, even in the world of the elite special forces. This happened at my childhood home in Connecticut when I was 8 or 9 in November of 2010. It was like 6 p.m. and I was getting ready for bed and my parents were across the hall folding laundry and stuff like that. As I was getting my pajamas on I glanced up at the skylight above my bed and as I did two hoof legs smacked against the skylight and my heart dropped like I had an instinctual feeling to be scared of whatever it was and I'll never forget the noise it made when it hit the window that's how I know my mind wasn't playing tricks on me. The legs also had no fur or skin just muscle and veins it also looked like whatever it was tried to climb up onto the roof but could only get its legs up before moving away. I ran into my parents' room crying and trying to tell them without sounding like a paranoid little kid, of course they didn't believe me. After that I refused to sleep in the room and I slept on the couch up until my parents divorced and I moved out of the house. Still creeps me out to this day. Let me start this up by saying I've never truly believed in ghosts, I never wanted to nor drew any interest into believing in the paranormal, until me and my wife moved into our new home at the start of the year. We live in a nice area, the house isn't too old and we are in Michigan. When we first moved in, there was absolutely no reason for us to believe it was haunted, about two months went by and we started to experience things that could be written off as natural, such as lights turning on, electronics turning on or off, or curtains moving. We blamed it all on faulty electrical wiring or breezes, and didn't think too much of it, other than making a few jokes about it being haunted. Gulp. Eventually, things escalated, and boy did they escalate quickly. The first big encounter we experienced was our bedroom door slamming shut while we were watching a movie downstairs, and it was loud enough to rattle the paintings on the living room wall, so of course we ran up to check what happened, when we opened the door, the bedding was off our bed when it originally was tidy, and the curtain pole had fell off the window, we didn't think much of this, as we believe it fell off due to the door being slammed, since our paintings rattled downstairs, but worth a mention. We got spooked by this, and this would happen regularly. It was never a different room, always the main bedroom. Door being slammed during the day and at night, things being in places we didn't leave them, pillows on the floor etc. Before I mention this next part, I just want to ensure you know my wife has never ever experienced sleep paralysis in her entire life, 
Until one night in April where she woke up and saw a tall figure, that resembled a human, but wasn't. The figure didn't move, she described it as just standing still, watching in the corner of the room. This freaked her out enough that she woke me up and we both had to sit and watch a movie till she could feel comfortable enough to fall asleep. Things didn't stop there, they got more aggressive. We haven't been physically harmed yet, but things would be thrown. Paintings dropped of off walls, pillow thrown across the room again, bottles of deodorant being slammed off of walls. It is to the point where I'm mentally drained of coming home from work and knowing there is a huge mess to clean up. What can we do? What is this thing that is doing all of this? And why? Our house isn't that old, I'd say the 60s or 70s, we live in a nice area, why would it be haunted? I'm hoping I get closure here, and I understand most people won't believe anything I've said here, but we are so so mentally drained, and we can't afford to move. Please. Help us. I fear things are only going to get worse, and physical, is this a warning? Is it just getting started? Anything, any help. My parents are from a small pueblo in the Sierra Madre Mountains in Oaxaca, Mexico. Over there, it's very rural and secluded and surrounded by bosques, forests. To get a sense of what I'm talking about, Google, San Pedro, Yolox, and you'll see what I mean. Growing up, my parents would always tell me stories of supernatural occurrences they or their family would encounter. Over there, people accept this as fact, not fiction. It's not unusual to hear voices calling your name at odd hours of the night, hear dogs scrimmage outside and cry in fear, or hear weird tappings or knockings outside your door. The locals warn of staying out at night for too long, venturing too far out into the wilderness, or visiting rivers alone. As a young boy, my father would accompany his dad to El Rancho, the ranch, which was far away from town. One day, as he was playing outside in the fields, he saw a tiny figure a few meters away from his. This figure had elven-like ears and looked like a small child. It was beckoning my dad to follow him. My dad had heard of these beings before, parents warned their children of these beings, and so ran to his dad. My grandfather immediately believed him and grabbed his rifle, asking my dad where he saw it. My dad pointed in the direction where he saw it and my grandfather ran out and loaded his rifle, threatening the being not to come closer or harm my dad. After hearing very similar stories of these beings from relatives and my parents, I wholeheartedly believe they are telling the truth. There's something out there, and I hope that one day we open our hearts and minds to learning more. For clarification, I saw it in El Paso, Texas, and the women who was investigating it was somewhere in the Midwest. Allow me to explain the situation. Two or three years ago, I was on Reddit using a different account, and I was bored, I happened upon a post that intrigued me greatly, it was of a young woman who was investigating a tunnel that was said to be haunted. She had investigated this with her friend and found strange sigils across the area, and even dreamed some up, I decided to join the mystery and assist them, but misfortune was clearly on their side. I got her Instagram, and she would send me pictures of what she would find. Various darkish anomalies in the background of the area, 
and a photo her friend took of a ghost which had began stalking her, the friend, ever since she started helping her. The being was completely black and abnormally tall, and his face was like a pale moon. All I knew at that point was that this could be something like an ARG. It wouldn't be long after that I encountered the same being, I was walking around in my house when it manifested out of a closet and stared at me, I felt it, so I turned around and stared back. And it floated back into the closet. I was too scared to check, so I just stood there. And I immediately backed out of any further investigation, and left it at that. As of then I've not had any encounters with it. The whole thing still creeps me out to this day, and I've been searching for answers ever since I've gotten the opportunity to do so. For those wondering as to why I waited so long to make a post and tell the story, let it be known that I didn't want this thing going after me, it intimidated me and I admit that. I was only 14 when it happened, and I was scared of the consequences. And in the further years stuff started happening that required more of my attention. Which eventually lead me to assume that this was just something I'd have to take to my grave. All I ask is for closure, what did I really see that day? A bit taller than a Barbie doll creature that looks human, and though they may be wild, they are well dressed akin to the styles of the 17 or 1800s. Several years ago I clearly watched a well-dressed young man slide down a bit of old house siding at the back of my yard trying to escape my attention, and he left a skid mark in the dirt that my intelligent husband couldn't explain away as a mouse or chipmunk because there were bipedal shoe marks, footprints, also left behind. And though my husband was a firm skeptic he later had his own clear sighting of a well-dressed little man that was older and looked to my sighting. I, we, don't know what to call these people, but I'd like to find a specific forum in which to discuss them. Currently, I concern about the hard heat wave we are about to experience. I added water sources in the yard or garden tonight and tried to express the situation aloud to them. I can only hope my little neighbors benefit from my efforts. But I would like to discuss such things with others who know about them and care to share our world. I seem to be able to assume this forum is a place to post real observations and concerns with trust. Where do I go? Where do we turn, because we know these folks are here without a doubt. We want to be good neighbors, and would like to connect with others who make such efforts to learn what they like, need, want, dislike, etc. This is in North Central Indiana, USA sightings are infrequent but ongoing. My husband swears he recently sighted two little men while backing out the car, but when he turned to look directly there were only two robins. He's also seen them shift into squirrels. He's not teasing me or joking. He 100% believes what he'd seen as an eye with my own sightings. This happened in about 1990 in southeast Michigan. Twice I saw a tall, black humanoid-shaped figure that ran like the wind and appeared to almost fly across the ground. Both times it was dark out and both times it scared the hell out of me and the friend I was with. I was with two different friends. One at the first sighting and the other at the second. They both saw it too. Back up about four years before I saw this creature. A friend of mine was killed riding a mini bike. 
My brother and I were getting cryptic phone calls from someone our age who wouldn't tell us his name. I can't remember what he'd talk about but it was really creepy. One day I hung the phone up and my brother asked who it was. I told him he wouldn't say. My brother guessed it was the kid that died. Then in 2002 I go see the movie and man did it give me chills. Nothing bad ever happened to me, my friends or the town but besides that we experienced the same thing as West Virginia did in the movie. Anyone else experienced this before? When I was about 16, I wasn't feeling the best one night and decided to go to bed early. Sometime during the night, I woke up out of nowhere and was feeling really groggy, but at the end of my bed I saw a shadow that looked to be wearing a cowboy hat or one of that shape. There's a window across from where my bed is and the curtains were closed but the moonlight was shining through very faint, so I could just make out the shape, I couldn't see any features. When it happened, for some reason I wasn't scared, I just thought it was my brother for some reason, but maybe that's because I was half asleep. I just asked why are you in my room and he didn't say anything, he just slowly moved back a few seconds after towards the corner of my room which was completely black until I couldn't make it out anymore, it's like it just faded into the darkness. Right after this I just fell asleep again and looking back I don't know how I could. I woke up that morning and the first thing I thought of was what I saw and that's when it hit me how stupid it would be for my brother to be in my room that late wearing a hat. I asked everyone in the family if they were in my room and of course no one was. I thought I might have been dreaming but I clearly remember waking up with a headache and still being half asleep and the fact that I remembered it that morning and the feeling I got in my heart when I realized what happened, especially considering I can never remember my dreams. Any thoughts? Edit, this was in Ireland around 2016. This was about 16 to 17 years ago, but my brother, myself and a couple friends were out driving around on a country road one night around Jefferson County, Indiana. It was about 2 am and we were heading back to our house when this creature ran in front of the car. It was probably about the size of a chimpanzee, white fur, long arms with the head shape of a canine. This thing is burned into mine and my brother's memories and the memory of two of the other people who were in the car that night. I'm curious as to if anyone else has seen or heard of anything like it. I've poured over numerous posts and articles about cryptids and can't seem to find anything that really matches it. Also weird point but the way I always described it was if the mongoose bike mascot from the 90s was a real creature. Edit, a lot of people have suggested dog man, I don't think it was. This thing was short maybe four feet tall, like I said body similar to a chimpanzee, very muscular, and could most likely walk bipedal but while it ran was using its arms as another set of legs. This happened many years ago. I lived Maryland in a little suburb type community. My bedroom faced the road and my parents faced the backyard. We lived in the middle of a cul-de-sac so you could see a lot from my bedroom window. Late one night, I got up and headed to the bathroom. When I got back in bed, I heard knocking at my bedroom window. I was on the second floor so I knew no one was knocking on my window. I thought it must have been my cat. 
I rolled over and tried to fall back asleep. There was more knocking, only this time there was a pattern to it, like shave and a haircut. So this was definitely not my cat. It was from outside, my door was on the other side of the room so it wasn't anyone inside. I got out of bed and went over to my window to look outside. At the end of the street was a light post and a giant oak tree next to it. This little creature, looked like a real live version of Danny DeVito's penguin but not so dirty was dancing under the light post. It grabbed the pole when it realized I was looking at it spun around it and jumped to the side and disappeared as his feet clapped together. It was super weird. I have no idea what it was, I've never seen it again after that. Not too much longer after that sighting, my mom passed away, by her own hand. So I don't know if he had something to do with it or if it's just coincidence and I'm still trying to place blame after 26 years. This happened in maybe 2015-ish, in Ohio. I would be 16 at the time. My friend and I were walking home from a local park, on the side of a somewhat busy street. Suddenly, I saw a glimpse of something sprint across the road and over the guardrail ahead of us. The other side of the guardrail is a steep hill and densely wooded area. He asked me if I saw that, and I was even more creeped out. He saw it too, and we both described almost exactly the same. It looked bipedal but seemed to be running on all fours, had what looked like grayish white hair all over its body, and was fast as hell. We got up to where it would have been on the road and saw nothing on the hill or in the woods down below. We kept looking around but saw no sign of anything, before we just agreed that it was really weird and kept walking. About two years ago, I lived in an old house outside of city limits in western Alabama. Wild hogs are considered a nuisance in this part of the country, and thus are year-round game. The land wasn't mine, but it was legal hunting ground, so my landlord gave me and my friends explicit permission to take care of any hogs we came across. So a lot of the time, especially during the winter when this encounter took place, I was posted up on my back porch with a cigar and a gun, either by myself or with company. This land wasn't very clear, in fact we only had about 20 feet from the porch to the tree line, then it would go down a hill and the brush would get thicker. So our hunting was just being quiet and looking for the beady eyes of hogs in the foliage when we heard rustling. So, all that being said, one night during my porch sitting, I heard some rustling. I started scanning the woods for this hog, and eventually did come across a set of white, beady eyes. They weren't a hog's eyes though, because these were eye level with me. As my eyes continued to adjust, the rest of the creature started coming into view. It was tall, thin, and had long, spindly arms and legs. Its entire body was completely black. I couldn't make out any other facial features besides the eyes, but what I could make out was that this thing was actually a good ways down the hill, so the fact that it was still at eye level with me meant it was likely around 10 feet tall. It started up the hill, moving towards me, and I had this feeling in my gut that .45 caliber bullets probably weren't going to do much here. So I slowly collected my things and headed back into the house. It didn't make any sound as it moved, other than the slight crunch of leaves. 
As it climbed the hill, it somewhat stopped at the tree line, then turned and walked along the edge of it. It bobbed and lurched a bit as it walked, kind of how some large birds bob their head as they move. That was the most terrified I had been in a long while, and as the title says, this wasn't the only encounter. My hunting buddies and I all saw it several times, walking through the trees a good bit away from the house, sometimes turning to look at us. My roommate that moved in later that same year once walked outside and saw it right up against the porch, looking right down at her. It never tried to attack anyone or even acted aggressively, so we eventually stopped being as scared, though still very cautious, and started calling him Big Boy. I've told a couple other friends about this. One of them said the description and behavior matched something called a California Dark Watcher. I did my research, and as much as this creature matches up, this was on the opposite end of the continent. I'm still not 100% sure what it was that I saw, but I am 100% sure I saw it. Multiple people did. Edit, typos, and also forgot to mention that the woods went completely silent every time we would see it, even the bugs. Things normally get quiet when there's a predator in the area, but I mean complete and total silence. Edit too, alright, you guys talk me into it. Give me a couple weeks, and I'll be back out there with some trail cameras. Hopefully I'll catch something on video after all this time. Edit 3, update, just spoke to my old roommate that saw it up close. She said it was more eerie than downright scary. It looked at her like it was curious, tilting its head to the side like a dog when you're holding something it wants. My hunting buddies and I all saw it from 30 to 50 feet away, but she ended up being closer than all of us. She confirmed no features other than eyes, but it had sunken in spaces on the face where there would be features. I understand her not taking a picture. I wouldn't take a picture of a bear if it was 10 feet from me, let alone this thing.